was hopping. There we go. Bam. Check, check. There we go. Once again, operator error. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, um, we probably need uh, to really give it up for the tech team and the worship team. They were here redoing a uh, uh, stage reset in the time with all the complications around the renovation and stuff. And they went ceaseless hours against adverse conditions just to get us up and running here today. So thank you guys. Absolutely. We're in the book of Luke. We're continuing on. Our series is Choosing Sides. This session, this section of Jesus' ministry where he's just kind of laying it down and saying, look, there's, there's really, I'm going to tell you the truth and you can either be on the side of you agree with me and embrace that or you can reject it and walk away. But it's getting harder and harder and harder to just kind of stand in the middle ground and try and play both sides that way. And, uh, and he's just getting down to it that way. Uh, I'm hopeful that this morning that you're going to walk out of here with a sense of God has said something uh, to my heart that I need to act on today. And I'm just going to give you like fair warning up front. What it is that God may have to say to you this morning may not be particularly comfortable. It may sting a little. We may walk out the doors at the end of the service saying, thank you, sir, may I have another. But it will be towards God's purposes for us in our life if we're willing and able to embrace it. When I was in second grade, I had that experience that you get in second grade when they take the, the class out to do the vision screening. You know, in hindsight, I don't know why they wait that long to do it, because I thought things were fine, but in second grade, we learned I could barely see. Now, it would be a little bit dramatic to say that I was blind, okay? It wasn't that bad, but here's the thing. I had difficulty seeing clearly, but... I didn't know I had diff I didn't know I had vision problems. Why? What? How did I know any different? I just thought the world was a blurry place. So not only was I kind of blind, I was kind of blind to the fact that I was kind of blind. And it wasn't until someone said, "Hey, look, there's a problem here with how you see things." That had to happen before I got to the place where they could do something about it and allow me to see your lovely faces clearly as I do today. That moment of being told that something's wrong and you're not seeing things clearly, that's not everybody's favorite moment. And it certainly wasn't the Pharisees' favorite moment. That's part of what Jesus is doing in this passage we're going to look at in Luke 11. He's going to be telling the Pharisees there's some deep problems. And the, problems is, the problem for you is that not only, are you, not only are you wrong, but you have no idea that you could even possibly be wrong. And Jesus is going to have to make them aware of how blind that they are and how darkening that is to, his, to their souls. And uh, so with that in view, let's go straight to his words to the Pharisees. He says to them, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also uh, full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then, see to it, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines on you. The purpose of light, Jesus said, is to help us to see clearly. And he talks about that our eyes are the lamps of our soul. And if we're not careful, we'll just blow right past that and think that he's talking about 
the physical organs through which we see, our eyes and our eyeballs and retinas and the whole assembly that way. But that's not really what he's talking about here. He's talking not so much about the power of vision and sight through our uh, biological eyeballs. He's talking more about our ability to perceive, our perception, the way we approach life and see life. And he says, if the way that you approach life and see life and perceive life, if, if that's good, if it's right, if it aligns with God's way of thinking, that brings light to your soul, and your soul is a light and wonderful place. But if there's something damaged in the way that you perceive, if there's something damaged in the way that you interact with the world, if, if the way that you come to the world and perceive it and receive it is not aligned with the way God does, your soul is going to be a darkened, darkened place. Last week, if you were here, we talked, Jesus was talking to these same Pharisees, and they were demanding a sign of him because they lacked faith. And he said, I'm not going to give you the sign that you want, but, I'll, and, but he pointed to two different things that had happened historically where people did understand the sign that was presented to them. One was Jonah, one was with the Queen of Sheba, and in both cases, the people involved saw the sign that God had put in front of them, recognized it for what it was, and responded appropriately. And Jesus called out the Pharisees and said, but, but I'm here as a sign in front of you, and you don't even know it. You're missing it entirely. Jesus is suggesting here today that the reason that you don't get it is because there's something powerfully wrong with the way that you approach, the way that you see, the way that you perceive God at work. When your perspective is bad, life and your soul become very dark, but if it's good, it's light. And so Jesus would say, see to it, see to it that you align your perspective with God's. So that the way that you see others aligns with how God sees them. The way that you look and do your job aligns with how God would have you do that. The way you see your family, the way you see your problems, your struggles, your victories, your failures, all of these things. He would say, see to it that you align your way of seeing, perceiving, and interacting with them so that they align with God. See to it, he says, that you maintain a godly perspective. Now, that's easier said than done, right? Because like second grade Scott, a lot of the times we're blind to how blind we are. And without a little help, we can't even see how out of alignment with God and his way of thinking that we are. Jesus says to them, before we can change our perspective, we're going to have to change our focus. Our perspective, the way we approach things, the way we see and encounter the things that are happening is deeply dependent upon the things that we choose to focus upon. And I love this. Jesus doesn't just require of the Pharisees, change your perspective. But he's going to equip them by talking to them about their focus. And this is an important thing for us to understand about the way it is that Jesus works with his people. He doesn't ever just give an instruction and say, you go fix it figure it out. He says, no, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to help show you how to work on that and how to grow in that. Were, were any of you as fortunate as I was to be in a high school athletics program where a coach said brilliant things like, play better? How is, how is that helpful? I'm playing as hard as I can the best way. I don't need to be told, do it better. I need to be given some instruction, some help, some pointers, some ways to do that. 
Jesus doesn't just say, live better. He's saying to the Pharisees, you need to change your perspective because your soul is very dark right now. But I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to coach you through that. And it starts by changing the things that you focus upon. And in four key areas, he's going to say, you're focused on the wrong thing. And he's going to show them what they do need to focus on. Now, we've been listening to Jesus talk to the Pharisees through this whole Gospel of Luke. And we know that they're the bad guys. And we know that they're the opposition. And we know that they're against Jesus and trying to catch him in a trap and all those things. We know that these Pharisees are the worst. And if that's our mindset going into the next 15 or 20 minutes, that Jesus has just given it to these Pharisees who are the worst, we're going to miss what Jesus wants to do. We're studying this passage not so that we can know how horrible the Pharisees are. We need to come to this passage humbly and say, God, we're asking you to show us. God, I'm asking you to show me where am I blind where does my perspective not align with yours? And how can I adjust my focus so that eventually it does? And if you're interested in that, I'm going to ask you to pray this with me in your heart. Heavenly Father, in the time that comes and remains in this gathering together, we pray that you would reveal to us our own blindness. God, we ask that you would help us to align our perspective with your own. God, would you show us where our focus is producing darkness? but where we can redirect it to produce the light that is your desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so with that in mind, and ready to get smacked upside the head with some truth, let's look at this next part of the passage. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Jesus here is talking about um, a particular tradition that the, the Pharisee expected him to practice, the ceremonial washing of the outside of the cup and the dish. Now, this wasn't a rule that was in, in the law that Moses had written down. This was just something, an add-on that got tagged in later that was like, hey, when you eat, you're supposed to take the cup or the plate and you ceremonially rinse the outside of it. As if to say, I am a pure, holy, and upright person. I must prevent against anything on the outside entering into my body and defiling all of this holy perfection. And so I will demonstrate that by washing the outside of the cup and the outside of the dish, and then I may proceed with my meal, having demonstrated to all how righteous I actually am. And this is understandably a game that Jesus refuses to play. He doesn't go in, and he doesn't go about that. This wasn't the only ceremonial thing that had been added on to the law. This is what the Pharisees did. They took the commandments of God that were written down in the law of Moses, and they added on new and complex and additional ways to go ahead and operate with them. In fact, the, the uh, historian Josephus, one of the key historians from this period of history, wrote this, that the Pharisees 
have delivered to the people a great many observances by succession from their fathers which are not written in the laws of Moses. Here are all these things that we say you have to do, not that God says that you have to do. That's what we're talking about here. And so the Pharisees, they focused on tradition instead of transformation. See, God established his, his will and his word to change us and transform us and make us more like him from the inside out. But the Pharisees were all about the tradition. Tradition is about what we do. Transformation is about why we do it. Transition is what happens on the outside. Transformation is what happens on the inside. And that's what matters. And the Pharisees were great at everything on the outside to the exclusion of what was on the inside. And Jesus says, you're filthy there. When I was a freshman in college, um, one of the guys in the dorm lived just down the hall. He ended up in his dorm with one of those, those white cafeteria coffee mugs, and he just used that as his coffee mug in his room all semester long. And somewhere along the line, someone wondered, like, those are white and coffee's dark. Like, I wonder what would happen if you just never even washed out the inside of a coffee mug for a whole semester. And we said, I have no idea, but you should try it. And to our surprise, he did. A semester-long experience with a perfectly clean outside of a mug. And by the time Christmas break came around, the filthiest, most... And you're talking from a guy who was like an 18-year-old guy in a college dorm. I thought it was filthy, ridiculous, disgusting, and I couldn't put up with it. It was terrible. I don't know how he lived through that semester. It was that bad. It was that germ-riddled. It was that hideous. And that's the picture of the inside of the Pharisee's soul that Jesus is describing. Those Pharisees are the worst. But we're not talking about the Pharisees. We're talking about us. For the purpose of this morning, we are the Pharisees. And we're asking God to pull away our blinders, to let us know where we don't see so clearly, and to help us to refocus so that there is light. Lots of times we like to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do? What can I do on the outside to please you or to get things done? What if we changed that? What if we changed that question and changed our focus from what we need to do on the outside to God, what do you want to do on the inside. God, I am blind and I am broken and I am imperfect. God, what do you want to change and correct in me today? Because I'm firmly, firmly in the camp of those who believe that God is always and forever at work transforming his children and making them more like Jesus. He's doing it every day. And the question isn't, is God trying to do that in us? It's, are we cooperating with him? And if we know where it is God's working, if we know which area of our life he's tapped and said, let's work on that now, then we are partnering with him in that. But if we're unaware, or if we somehow think that we've arrived and there's no work left to be done, we're actually resisting the work of God that way. Where are those traditions that we've fallen into where we've settled for the outside and not really looked for the transformation on the inside? Can I tell you just a, a dumb example, but it gives, it gives a point? There is nothing wrong with stopping at mealtime three times a day or four or five or however many meals you take 
and saying at the beginning of each meal, thank you, Lord, for your provision. Please bless this food and say in grace. That is a marvelous thing to do. What could be better than multiple times a day thanking God for his provision and asking his presence in what you're doing? Absolutely, those are great. There's nothing wrong with that. But that can so easily, so easily become the, oh, I, here's food, I better say grace. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Throw out a quick prayer, off we go, eat the meal. I've checked the box, I've done that thing on the outside, but my heart on the inside wasn't engaged at all. That's not just a problem about I'm saying grace wrong, that's about I've become the Pharisee. I'm doing the thing on the outside without even asking what's going on on the inside. You could write that story with almost every really good, healthy, spiritual practice that we do. Prayer time, devotion time, Bible reading. We can just get it done on the outside. But if we aren't saying, God, would you meet me on the inside? Would you transform me? Would you change me on the inside? We, we are blind as the Pharisees are blind. Our, our vision is obscured. Our soul is dark. And we need to refocus at that point. Can I ask you to consider this morning, perhaps, that one of the things God is saying to you, and maybe right now he's just tapping on that area in your life, and he's saying, I am asking you not just to bring your activity and your doing to those things, but I'm asking you to bring your heart and your soul and open that up to transformation and change. And, and, if, and if that's what God's saying, then this is a week of doing that for you. The Pharisees, they focus on tradition and transformation, but that's not all. Let's look at the next thing that Jesus addresses with them. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you. Because you load down people uh, with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. That's a harsh, harsh indictment. He, he says, you, you Pharisees, you love the notoriety that you receive, the public acclaim. You, you get, like the People reserve the best seats for you. They call out to you and recognize you in public places. You have all this influence, and you enjoy the notoriety. He says, but you're like unmarked graves, which is a great image in and of itself, but in that culture carries even probably a deeper meaning than maybe we originally get, right? Because in, within the Jewish law, and this is written in the law of Moses, it was, you became ceremonially and religiously unclean if you came in contact with anything that had died. If you inadvertently walked over a grave with a dead person in between, uh, underneath, even if you didn't intend to, if you did that, guess what? You know how, you're now outside uh, ritual purity. You get to stand outside of the camp for the next seven days. You don't get to participate at temple. You don't get to join in the community for prayer or religious activity. The fact that you've come into contact with something dead has defiled you, and you have to steer clear. It's a, uh, almost like a COVID isolation period. But you have to stand aside and, and remove yourself from the community for a period of seven days. That's brutal. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, you're so proud of yourself. You love all the, all the acclaim that you get, but people who come into contact with you are coming into contact with death, and you're actually excluding them from being in the presence of God. People are farther from God as a result of having contact with you, even though they may not even have known it. That's how bad it is. And the difficulty is this. The Pharisees were focused on self and not service. 
out of their practice of religion, they wanted what they got out of it. All the good feelings, all the good, uh, all the good uh, appreciation from the people, all the notoriety, all the special effects. They wanted all of that. It was all about them. And they did not care about their role, which was to serve others. And this is, this is completely opposite, right? Jesus came and says, I come as one who serves. I come as one who, white, who uh, washes the feet of my disciples. I, I come as one who serves humanity to the point of dying for all of humanity to purchase their salvation. I'm telling you what, the Pharisees are the worst. And so are we. Because self and selfishness is the default condition of humanity. We all naturally gravitate towards care for self and self-reputation and not towards the service of others. Social media is a technology, and as such, it's neutral, right? Technologies are neutral. But one of the things that, so, that social media as a technology does a really good job at is just magnifying our own sense of our, of our own self-importance. Let me tell you how beautiful I am. Let me tell you how perfect my vacation is. Let me tell you how wonderful my world is. Let me look down because my world's better than your world. On and on and again. It's, I, the problem is not the technology. The, the problem is not one particular platform or another. The problem is the human heart. That part of us that wants the world to know how wonderful I am and how great my life is and how maybe better than you I am at any level along the way. The technology simply amplifies what already exists, our obsession with ourselves. And to the extent that that's us, Jesus says, your perspective is all wrong. And because that perspective is not aligned with God's perspective, your soul's going to be dark. But if we can refocus and turn away from a focus on self and turn that to a focus to others, then we're aligning ourselves with the way that God sees things, and our soul becomes light. We tend to ask the question, God, what do you have in store for me today? And I got to tell you, that's not a bad question. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be aware of what God wants and has in store for us today. That's not bad. But what if we change that a little and started our day with, God, who would you like me to serve today? God, today, there, there are going to be people at my place of work, in my, in my school, in uh, my neighborhood. There's just going to be, would you show me the people that I could serve today and make that be my goal? Now, I just advise you, pray that prayer at your own risk. Because here's what I strongly suspect based on my own experience, such as it is. The prayer, God, help me find someone to serve, almost inevitably leads God to, has God leading me to someone that I don't like very much. And God asking me to serve them. That, oh boy, that like raises, that raises the ante right there. That, that thing's getting crazy. Lord, show me who I can serve today. Uh, you can start with your wife. But, God, we're not getting along right now, and as you know, it's her fault. <laughs> like, if I were going to serve her today, that would mean I'd have to humble myself. Like, that would require me to humble myself and say, I know I think I'm right, but maybe I'm not, and even if I was right, I shouldn't have treated you that way, and I'm sorry, and how can I serve you? 
Well, I think we all know that's not going to happen. Ask God to send you into a day with eyes open to serve. You may find that what's required is a very difficult moment of choosing sides. Of saying, okay, God, I, you've made it clear what you want me to do. I'm either going to do it and do it with joy because it's, you're the one who's asking me to, or I'm going to step aside and just say, nope, no thanks, not interested. Now, I have my own recommendation for you on which way that choice should go. I'm going to steer you towards doing what God asks you to do. I want that for you. I want us not to be the Pharisees who refuse to have our, our perception change or our focus shifted. I want us to be those who have God's light in our soul, not, not the darkness that Jesus speaks about with the Pharisees. You having fun yet? Have you found something yet that's making you uncomfortable? Me personally, I'm two for two, so let's go three for three here. Okay. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Abel to Zechariah, that's A to Z. Now, Abel was the first of the prophets put to death, Zechariah at the end, and everyone in between. He, the prophets were almost uniformly punished and persecuted and put to death, right? It's an amazing thing. God sends people to a particular time in a particular place and says, I have something to share with you. This is my word for you. This is how I want you to grow and to change and shape uh, your life. And I want you to do this. And in great appreciation that God would want to speak to them and to direct them, the people say, that makes me angry. I don't like what you're saying. If you keep saying that, I'm going to get mad. And if you keep saying it after that, we're going to hurt you. And if you keep saying after that, we'll put you to death. And that's what they did. Now, this passage uh, gets a little bit confusing talking about the prophets uh, and, the, and the tombs. Here was the practice that the Pharisees at that time were engaged in. In the Old Testament, had all these prophets, many of them had been persecuted and put to death, as we said, right? The, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were on a campaign to make ornate, fancy, um, high-end tombs in, out of respect and memory for those fallen prophets. That is, they wanted to put themselves in the place of saying, these men of God in the past who gave their lives to speak his word, they deserve honor. And we would like to be the ones who honor them, providing them with these wonderful, gorgeous, majestic tombs. The problem is that at the very same time that they were saying that, they were busy plotting the death of Jesus and they just finished being complicit in the death of John the Baptist, who Jesus had called the greatest prophet. You're trying to traffic as if you have the greatest heart towards the prophets of God. You want the reputation of honoring God's people, but you have the reality of putting them to death. They can't both be true at the same time. The Pharisees focused on their own reputation rather and instead of reality. The reality is they had no interest in hearing the voice of God. They were trying to silence that and put Jesus to death. But oh, they wanted the reputation 
of the people looking up to them. They wanted to be acknowledged as good, wonderful, and spiritual people. I'm telling you, the Pharisees, man, they're the worst. And so are we. We want people to think well of us. We desire people to feel like we've got it together, that we're doing fine, that, we can, that we're going to be all right. It starts typically as we're getting out of the car in the parking lot and we start putting on the church smile and the happy face and the handshake. And it's hard because like, we want to be socially appropriate, but sometimes the reality of our life, as opposed to the reputation, sometimes the reality is just in a difficult place. And look, I get it. It's not necessarily socially appropriate to walk through the doors and say, hi, my name's Scott. It's nice to meet you. I'm a mess. My finances are a trash heap. I'm, my health is failing. You know, and, and the world is just collapsing all around me. Hi, how are you? What's your name? Like, that's a little awkward, too. But here's the thing. That's... The front door and the greeter is not probably the appropriate place to say, here's my, here's my life in all of its complexity. But you know what? There is a place to say, here's my life in all of its reality and all of its complexity. We call those places life groups, a place where I'm not bearing my soul to a couple hundred people at a time, but where I'm sharing my life with 10 to 12 people at a time who have demonstrated that they love me, support me, care for me, will pray with me, will grow with me, and walk me through whatever coming that way. Even within that life group structure, with people with relationship like that, which is awesome, still, sometimes we feel the temptation to go, if I tell them what I'm really wrestling with, man, they're going to lose respect for me. I, I think maybe they think like I'm someone who's past that kind of petty struggling and I'd hate to disappoint them. I, I care more about my reputation than the reality. But guess what? I'm not past that petty point of struggling with that particular frustration. Jesus, uh, John wrote in his first letter, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful to uh, forgive us and cleanse us from the unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. He doesn't say, if you pretend like nothing's wrong and you're morally perfect, God will forgive you. I mean, can you imagine saying to God, well, I know I'm supposed to confess, but if I confess, you'll know that things aren't perfect. Yeah, he knows. He's good that way. I want to encourage us, perhaps, to become the people who say, God, what are you, what, what are those things in my life that maybe I'm hiding for, uh, from others that I need to bring to the light so that you can be at work there? What are the imperfections and the flaws that you've been hiding from others specifically because you don't want them to think poorly of you? Or, maybe even closer to home, what uncomfortable reality have you refused to acknowledge even to yourself. It's probably a problem. I'm sure it's a problem. It's probably something God wants to change in me, and it's probably something that has to go away, and it's probably doing negative things to my life and my relationships and everything. It's, it's probably, but I can't look there. I can't. I can't bear the pain of maybe it's really that bad. I can't bear the impact of maybe that's really me. 
I'm going to protect my own reputation of myself against what I know to be true in reality. That's a heavy burden to live under. That's a lot of weight to carry. And it is a weight that God has not designed us. We're not built to do that. And I want to challenge us today. Maybe God's tapping on some areas of your life, those hidden flaws or the things that you're holding back on. I say, let's, let's find the places. Let's find the place to open that up in prayer and say, Lord, I confess that's real in my life. I hate to admit it, God, but I struggle with that and I fail more than I succeed. I hate to admit it because I didn't ever believe I'd become that person, but here I am. And regardless of my reputation, the reality is, here I am. God, what can you do with that? and then live into what it is that he wants to do. But it will not happen if we, like the Pharisees, stay more interested in our reputation and our appearance than we are in the reality of where we are. You got room for one more? Can you take one more? Are you with me? Or are you, all, are you just had enough? Okay, I'll, I'll give you guys more. They're kind of quiet over on that side. So you guys get more. You guys just chat amongst yourselves. Okay. Jesus says, Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourself haven't entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something that he might say. He says, You have taken away, you've hidden the key of knowledge. Look, these... The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they had all the advantages. They'd been given the education. They'd gone to school and, and uh, been trained by the highest of the highest of the teachers what it is that was in the law and how it was to be applied. And the reason they had been given those advantages was specifically because then they were supposed to take the depth of knowledge that had been invested in them and open that out to those who didn't have those advantage, so advantages. So those who hadn't learned all of the law could still walk in the law because of the teaching. Their role as experts in the law wasn't just to back, bask and soak in the comfort of how much they knew and the privilege that they had because of it. Their job was to take all of that and to make it available to others so that they too could grow, so that they too could walk in God's grace. But the Pharisees were not doing that. Jesus says, you've hidden the key to that. Far from, far from sharing what they knew with others, they treated their knowledge as a, as a point of pride and of prestige, as if to say, if we really shared with others what we knew, then we might not be necessary. Then they might not hold us. You know, if, if we let all the common people know all the stuff that we know, then people might not know the difference. And so we won't invite people into the knowledge of God. We'll just keep it for ourselves and enjoy it from ourselves. And Jesus says, in doing so, you've not, you have, you're the furthest thing in the world from knowing God. You haven't even entered in yourself. And you've kept those from entering in as well, which was your purpose. That's what the Pharisees did. Their focus was on all of their privilege instead of on their purpose. Their purpose was to help people grow and flourish in their life of faith. And they were just busy living it up on their own, basking in their own privilege. I am telling you, those Pharisees, they're the worst. We would never be like the Pharisees, except for when we are, right? I love the way I see God at work 
in individuals in this congregation. I love the way I see God at work in relationships and in families and in groups. I, like, I love hearing the stories of how God's at work and how he's bringing restoration and healing, how people are growing in their knowledge and in their faith and how they're growing in community. I, like, I love all of these stories. I think they're wonderful. I celebrate them. as, And I think we should. Well, we should. But Lord, help us if ever we get to the point where we say, oh, it's such a wonderful privilege to be in a place where these things are happening. I just want to soak it in for a little bit and enjoy it. But, but what about others who aren't in, having access to that yet? Well, they'll get there. Cause I just, I, I can't be troubled with those immature, disconnected people who maybe don't know Jesus yet. I'm busy soaking in my privilege of just Jesusing it all up over here. How's God been at work in your life lately? What's he been up to? What's he been doing? How, he's, how has he been growing you? How has he been challenging you? How has he been meeting you? How has he been answering your prayers? I trust that he has. And then the more important question right now to this point, what are you doing intentionally to open the door so that all of what God's doing in you in you is being shared with others because if you're just soaking it up and enjoying it yourself and if I'm just soaking it up and enjoying it myself we are the Pharisees we're the Pharisees and there's darkness in our soul and our perspective is all backwards but if we can shift our focus away from our own privilege and enjoyment and instead focus on our purpose. That God has called each one of us, not just to be people who enjoy him, that's part of it, yes, but he calls us to be people who share his love with others. Whatever that looks like, in your context, in your family, in your home, in your class, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, whatever it looks like to share God's love with others and move people from where they are a step closer to God, that's your purpose. He's going to have you do that differently than I do that, and everyone's going to have their unique way to do it, but let's not be mistaken about our purpose. It's about God's love connecting with the people around us. And if we're not taking active and intentional steps to take what God's doing in our life, to connect with others so that they can love God too and experience that, we're the Pharisees. And Jesus would say to us, woe to you. There's a lot of things I'm looking forward to hear Jesus say to me one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. That would be awesome. One thing I don't hope to hear Jesus say to me, woe to you. So he doesn't just say live better. He says here's some things you can focus on. Focus on transformation. Focus on service. Focus on reality. And focus on your purpose. And we'll find that as we do that, our perspective changes. It aligns we begin to see things with corrected lenses as they really are. And that brings the light of God's love into the very deep places of our soul, which is God's purpose in the first place. So let's pray. God, this morning, we've just touched on a lot of places, many of them deep in our heart. God, my prayer for each one of us, God, would you really touch that specific place that you're asking us to respond to today and this week. God, we confess we are imper imperfect, we are broken, and we're flawed, and we're 
blind in our own perspective. God, lead us to focus correctly. Change our perspective so that our life might reflect the light of your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that we do to keep our mind in that right place is on a weekly basis we receive communion. There's some elements in the seat back in front of you. And just as the band is playing, I'm going to encourage you, take a few moments to reflect, maybe even process with the Lord in prayer, whatever it is he's been putting on your heart as I've been up here talking. And when the time's right, you can take that bread, which reminds us that Jesus' body was broken, and that juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for our sins. And when you take those and eat them, that's your affirmation, that that's what's at the center of your life that that's what changes you and transforms you and pleases God. And then uh, when that moment comes, you take those and uh, the band will lead us in music. And then in just a couple minutes, they'll come up and finish us off. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.